When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Home Run Apple Sources Minor League Podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I will be joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson momentarily. But we have a pretty jam-packed show this week, so I'm just going to jump right into things and go over how the Mets affiliates did this week. So first up, the Syracuse Mets. And they played a series against the Durham Bulls, a team that they lost five of six last time they played. But this time, things are pretty different. Uh, Syracuse, they've been surging lately. And the surging Syracuse Mets won five of six uh, this time against Durham. Uh, They won four of six against the Buffalo Bisons uh, in the series before this. So believe it or not, Syracuse Mets have won their last nine of 12 games. Um, but as a testament to how bad they were for how, how bad they've been for most of the season, they're still well below 500. They are currently 33 and 41, which is 14 games behind Norfolk Tides. Um, they play the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Railroaders this upcoming week. Scranton is also a, uh, below, a well below 500 team. They are 34 and 40, just one game better than the Syracuse. So maybe the Syracuse Mets continue their hot streak and they take another series, crossing my fingers. Binghamton Rumble Ponies, they play the Akron Rubber Ducks, a team that was barely over 500, just like Binghamton. And the Rumble Ponies took advantage and they won the series. Uh, they went 4 and 3. So Binghamton is now 35 and 34 in the season, seven and a half games behind the Somerset Patriots. 
And the series actually closes the book on the first half of the Eastern League season. So, so that's that. But at least they managed to get to and over 500. And that's a moral victory, if nothing else. Uh, the Ponies will now be taking the Hartford Yard Goats this upcoming week. The Yard Goats are a well below 500 team in the first half. They were 29-38. and 38. Um, So hopefully Binghamton takes advantage. And, you know, just like they did this week... Um, against the Rubber Ducks, hopefully they start off the second half strong. The Brooklyn Cyclones now, they played the Hudson Valley Renegades, um, the South Atlantic League North Division leaders, and Brooklyn went 4-2, and two, uh, with Hudson Valley actually clinching the division on Tuesday night, a night where Brooklyn came within two outs of getting no hit, um, but thankfully they ended up winning the series. Uh, the first half flipped, the second half... D- during the week, so Brooklyn ended the first half at the twenty nine and thirty seven record, which is dead last in the division and actually second worst in the entire South Atlantic League. But we're in the second half now, and they are a perfect three and zero in the second half. So that's what we want to see. St. Lucie Mets, they played the Jupiter Hammerheads this past week, and they've played them twice before and were five and seven. Um, in this series, they won two and lost three, and then. They also had one game suspended because of the weather, and that's going to be resumed next week. Uh, excuse me, next month. So, just like the South Atlantic League, the Florida State League calendar flipped midweek from the first half to the second half. So, St. Lucie is ending the first half with a twenty-five and forty-one record, which is worse than the Florida State League period, north and south. And they are starting the second half with a one and one record. And last but not least, the FCL Mets. And they went three and two this week, so that leaves them at nine and six on the season so far. Um, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know uh, the best team in the system. All right, so uh, the draft is in a couple of weeks. High school baseball is long over. Um, the College World Series is uh, the national championship game b- between the Florida Gators and the LSU Tigers. Started this weekend, uh, LSU took game one, Florida took game two. Uh, live baseball, you know, is going to be tonight, um, basically the, the completion of the World Series, and either Tigers or Gators going to be winning. Um, but, you know, tonight is the end of, of live amateur baseball, high school and college. Next couple of weeks is basically just going to be the draft board percolating until July 9th when the draft actually happens. So what we're going to do this week, me, Ken, Lucas, Thomas, we're going to highlight who we want to see the Mets take with their second and third round picks, which are selections 56, 91, and 101 overall. Remember, uh, last season, the Mets drafted Brandon Sprout with their third overall pick, and they did not sign him. So as a result, they're getting a second, third round pick. So what we did with this exercise um, you know, it's just basically based on player stats and stuff, whatever particularly strategies we want to employ in our drafts. And it's not necessarily whispers, you know, backroom whispers that we've heard where, you know, so-and-so player is in on so-and-so, you know, is connected to so-and-so team, whatever. Um, we looked at MLB.com player rankings we looked at baseball america player rankings and we looked at uh prospects live player rankings and we kind of you know aggregated things because there are 
a lot of things that go into making a draft board. Um, and what someone from one outlet sees from a player is not necessarily what uh, someone from another outlet sees. So you could have the same player ranked very favorably at one outlet and not so favorably at another outlet. So we just basically aggregated things in order to come up with, you know, kind of consensus of where certain players will get picked. So you're not going to have, you know, uh, situations where we're ta- we are picking names that might be outlandish at the uh, overall selection. So um, I'll be going first here. And with their second round pick, the 52nd overall pick, I'd like to see the Mets pick right-hander from University of Florida, Brandon Sprout. If the name rings a bell, like I said, the Mets just drafted him last year with a third-round pick. They weren't able to sign him. Uh, Baseball America has him ranked 48. MLB.com has him ranked 79. And Prospect Live has him ranked 45. So I think that he should be available at 56. I think it would be a reasonable pick. Um, I do have... I have a legit reason, and I also have a alternate selfish reason for wanting the Mets to pick Sprout. Um... A, he is a good player. He would 100% improve the Mets minor league system. That's the primary motivator here. But with that in mind, I do also want the Mets to draft him because I'm selfish. And they drafted him last season. And most of that information that I researched about him last season is still relevant. So him being drafted would make my life a lot easier on draft night. Um, This season, Sprout posted a 466 ERA in 102.1 innings with 81 hits allowed, 43 walks, and uh, for his career, he's a 426 ERA in 219.2 innings with the Gators, uh, 196 hits allowed, 94 walks, um, which is a total of 3.9 walks per nine, and 235 strikeouts, which is a total of 9.6 strikeouts per nine. Numbers are a little pedestrian for second-round pick, but, you know, these are amateurs that we are talking about. Um, You kind of got to look at at the stuff um, a bit more than the numbers. His fastball plus velocity, it's averaged 96 this season. It's touched 100, 101 a bunch of times. It has a low spin rate for a fastball. It uh, hovers around 2,000 RPM or so. So it doesn't have rising life like a high-spin fastball would. Um, it, it has some sink and run. That is why, at times, it's kind of been hittable, which you don't necessarily want to see from a guy's fastball, especially when he throws that hard. But other times, particularly when his average velocity is a little bit down and the pitch is getting some extra sink and run on it, it's been pretty unhittable. So to me, that sounds like a guy that just needs to kind of figure out a better grip or needs to sequence his pitches better. And the Mets have actually had kind, kind of had a, a decent success story this season with um, Mike Vazel in that regard. You know, in college, he threw the four-seam fastball a lot more than the two-seam fastball or vice versa. Excuse me, I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, um, Vassal has had a lot of success this season. So, you know, I think that some optimization there would, would help Sprout as well because you know you can't teach velocity like that and he has it so I think it's an attractive pick um he pairs that fastball with an above average high 80s gyro slider and an above average uh high 80s change up so he has weapons against left-handers and right-handers 
Um, and those are his main strikeout pitches anyway. It's not like he's just relying on a fastball to blow everybody away. He does rely more so on those secondary pitches to get his Ks. Um, he also mixes in the curveball. Uh, needs more consistency, one of those things. Where it could become a you know decent, average-ish, fringe-average pitch. Uh, just with more seasoning and whatnot. So if the Mets draft him at 56, I think they could also play a little creative accounting with his draft bonus. Uh, the slot value for his pick is $1,474,500. Uh, Sprout is 22 now. He's turning 23 in September. Uh, he's a senior, technically, even though he's a redshirt junior. Um, so I can't imagine him claiming redshirt senior status next year and going back to like schools uh, as a master's student or something. Um Statistically, he didn't have the greatest season. Uh, he had a really bad home run rate this year. So I think the Mets could realistically get him under slot a bit. Uh, let's say they sign him for a cool million dollars. I think everybody wins there. The Mets basically save $500,000 that they could use elsewhere. Uh, Sprout is getting a million dollars, which is more than he would have gotten last year if he signed. The The slot pick for his... Um, selection last year was a little bit less than $700,000. So his gamble to go back to school does technically work. So I think that, you know, that could be a uh, agreeable deal for everybody there. The next pick that the Mets get, um, their third round pick comes at 91 overall. And with that pick, I like to see the Mets select right-handed pitcher from Patchogue Medford High School in Medford, Long Island, Josh Noth. Baseball America has him ranked 42, MLB has him ranked 109, and Prospects Live has him ranked 100. So I think there's a solid chance for him to still be on the board at 91. Uh, high school stats, kind of hard to find. And in Nath's case, the most up-to-date info I could find was from a Newsweek article in late May that said that he was 7-0 on the season with just one earned run allowed in 42, uh, excuse me, 41.2 innings. So that comes out to a 0.17 ERA with five total hits allowed, 15 walks, and 109 strikeouts. So not bad. Um, Noth is 6'1", 195. So it's not small per se, but it is kind of on the smaller side. But he's only 17. He doesn't turn 18 until after the draft. So another 10 to 20 pounds are almost guaranteed. And that's like optimal pitcher size. Um even without that extra mess right now, though, he's he's got a great fastball. It sits in the low to mid-90s, like 92, 94. It's topped out at 96 this season, which is um, you know a, a bit higher than it did last year and in the fall. Uh, so you could already see the growth and progression there. What's given him a ton of helium this spring is his curveball. It's a legit plus pitch. Uh, it sits in the high 70s, so low 80s. It's a power curve that regularly gets over 3,000 RPM uh, of spin on it. So that puts it in that, you know, super elite curveball spin rate club. Um, sometimes it gets a little loose and it's more slurvy. And, you know, th that might be kind of good, though, because it shows that, you know, he, he might be able to also develop a distinct slider, too. So that would give him another pitch. Um, right now, he is mainly just fastball curveball. Uh, occasionally he will show a, a change-up, but doesn't really ever use it. But, you know, that's not uncommon for high school pitchers, especially ones with 
um, as good fastballs as Knots and as good curveballs as Knots. Um, his mechanics are pretty simple. He does rush sometimes. There's a little bit of effort there. But again, he's 17. He's coming out of high school. It's something that needs to be cleaned up a little and almost certainly will be. Um, signing him now. He's young and he has a commitment to Ole Miss, a school that you know historically has produced some good pitchers. So that could be uh, a tough commitment to break. Slot value for the pick is about $750,000. Um, so following my plan and drafting Sprout, like I was talking about before, they would have little money um, to spend. And who knows what they do with their first-round pick and what happens there. But uh, assuming their first-round pick signs for just slot value, they would have a little bit of extra money from their second-round pick. And, you know, let's say that... They are able to allocate that money um, to this pick, all of it. That would basically double um, the slot value, um, and that becomes like giving this kid second round money. You know, the the fifty fifth overall pick or so is like one point two million dollars. Um, I don't know if that gets it done. Hopefully, it does, and it, I think that's definitely enough to make a guy think. Um, hopefully, the extra money combined with the Mets historical. Ability to develop pitching, you know, plays into uh, whatever decision he makes. And now, with the 101, 101st overall pick, their second, third round pick on account of failing to sign Brandon Sprout, uh, I'd like to see the Mets draft outfielder from the University of Mississippi, Kent Alderman. Baseball America has him ranked 105. MLB.com has him ranked 62, and Prospects Live has him ranked 122. So I think there's a good chance that he'd be available at pick 101. Alderman hit 376, 440, 709 in 54 games this year with 19 home runs, 5 steals, and 26 walks to 41 strikeouts. And for his career at Ole Miss, he has a cumulative 424, excuse me, 324, 405 607 line in 123 games with 31 home runs, 7 stolen bases, and 55 walks to 110 strikeouts. Alderman is a big dude. He's 6'3, 230 pounds. And when you think big dudes like that, you think power. And power is Alderman's carrying tool. He hit 19 home runs this season. That was tied for 7th in the SEC. And. In the uh, MLB draft combine, he's had multiple hits with uh, exit velocities measured over 115 miles per hour. That's like Pete Alonso power. That's like Aaron Judge power, Mike Stanton power. Um, so that's like bona fide plus power. But with power comes swing and miss. And for his career, he's had a about a 25% strikeout rate, um, which isn't terrible, but it is a little high. And this season, he he did get it down to 19%, which actually isn't bad. Um, what he needs work on is basically, and <laughs> let us know if you've heard this one before, but he needs to work, improve on, on his swing decisions. Um, he needs to basically just chase fewer pitches that he can't hit and then cut down on the pitches that you know he, he shouldn't hit, pitches that are going to result in weak contact. Are the Mets an organization that can do that? I don't 
know necessarily, but if they can, you know, there is definite upside here with Alderman. Uh, defensively, he's mainly been a corner outfielder for Ole Miss. He's not, like, quick twitch fast, but he's one of those kinds of go that guys that once he gets going, he has average speed or so, and that works in the outfield fine. Uh, he's a great arm. He was a legit two-way player in high school. Um, on the mound, he he touched the low to mid-90s. So he's got pop. He's an okay fielder, and he's got an arm that fits the mold of a prototypical right fielder. Um, he's also spent time at first base in college, which is whatever. But here's actually something kind of interesting. He's also played a couple of midweek games at catcher. Now, obviously, there's a big difference between actually being a catcher and, you know, being able to catch every once in a while, a few innings here and there. But, you know, conceptually down the line, if if he could theoretically hone those skills behind the plate enough to be passable, that would give managers a, a lot of versatility in terms of uh, pinch hitting and defensive switches and positional changes and something like that. Obviously, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot would have to go right for us to get to that point but you know what it's a it's a fun thing to dream on so those are the players that i'd like to see with the mets uh next couple of picks i'd like to see brandon sprout josh Noth, and kemp alderman hi this is ken and uh today i'll be talking about some guys who might be available when the mets pick at uh Draft pick number 56, number 91, and number 101. Uh, so at 56, and uh, I kind of thought I'd do kind of a, a local tri-state area theme, but uh, at number 56, um, if, if Steven Echeverria, a right-handed pitcher from uh, Milburn, New Jersey, um, is available, I think the Mets should strongly consider picking him. He's um, six foot one right-hander. Uh, his velocity has popped a little bit, uh, sitting more in the high 90s than the 93 to 94 that he had been throwing uh, in years prior. Um, he has a couple of off-speeds that are all works in progress, a sweeping slider uh, that blends into more of a slower curve, and uh, the mix makings of a, a potential changeup. Um, but all of them are kind of a work in progress, and uh, considerable work will need to go into them at the you know, in Pro Bowl. Uh, so part of the reason I, I like the idea of picking him here is um, it's an idea that there might be a little more growth left in the tank. He's a cold weather prep uh, from New Jersey. Uh, he's 17, so he's one of the younger players in the draft. And um, for a kid this young, there's a good amount of pitchability um, to go along with the intriguing stuff. So uh, he's got a, a couple of pitches. Um, that you know show the makings uh with a good amount of work of of you know being good off-speed pitches at the next levels uh a fastball that has recently perked up a little bit and um you know good pitchability uh despite a uh a limit to the amount of reps he was able to get um as a, as a cold weather prep so steven echeverria if he's around at 56 um i Hope the Mets strongly consider taking him. At 91, I went with another uh, New Jersey product, uh, Ryan Lasco. He's an outfielder, aged 21, out of uh, my alma mater, Rutgers University. Um, 
So again, sticking with the local draft prospects theme, but um, I, I think Glasgow has a, a good broad base of skills. Um, you know, the Mets don't really have much outfield depth. Uh, I think there's a good chance that um, his broad base of skills ends up at least getting him into the high minors, uh, if not into kind of like a utility role um, with a little bit of, you know, room for more. Uh, so he's got plenty of raw power um, in college. He had no problem getting it into games, but he also struck out a little more than you'd like. Uh, the big challenge for him is will he be able to make enough contact to get his, um, you know, big strong arms <laughs> uh, to lift the ball out with any consistency. Uh, he's, but he's also an above average runner and um, he has a very strong arm and reports about his defense suggest that there's a good chance he'll stick up the middle and even provide some value. So talk about a guy who, um, you know, yes, there's some swing, swing and miss concerns and some contact concerns, but he can hit for power. Uh, he can run, he can field and he can throw. So that's four out of five (laughs) with, um, you know, a good chance if, uh, he develops a little bit, uh, where you might have be you know you might get a guy who's average across the board and um, you know can has a relatively safe floor. Uh, at one hundred and one, I, I chose another local, relatively local product, uh, Josh Knopf, a right-handed pitcher at age seventeen, out of Patchogue Medford High School on Long Island. Uh, it's the same high school that produced Marcus Stroman uh, a number of years ago. Uh, Knopf has a fastball that. Um, he could run up to 96, but settles in a little lower than that, maybe 92 to 94. Um, it stays a little bit flat, but the pitch that, um, you know, has him on draft boards, period, is uh, his curveball. It has elite spin, elite movement, and, um, you know, just all of the makings of a pitch that you, you can't really teach. And um, especially this deep in the draft, you know, you're, you're past 100 picks, um I like the idea of trying to take somebody who has one really good pitch, you know, a prep pitcher especially that has one really solid pitch, and then trying to see if you could build enough around that one really solid pitch that you can't teach, um, you know, try to build enough around it to get a big league pitcher out, out of them. Um, and uh, I'm just a sucker for curveballs. It's um, a feel pitch. Feel for spin is something very much that... Um, you can't teach so if the only thing you have going for you and you know it isn't really the only thing he has going for him because he also has a fastball that uh he can run up to 96 uh but if the primary thing you have going for you is a really good curveball with a very high spin rate um and you know good feel and command of it uh that that's pretty um pretty close to ideal for for that circumstance of having you know one real carrying tool as a pitcher um, yeah, so Steven Echeverria, uh, right-handed pitcher, 17 years old, out of uh, Melbourne High School in New Jersey at 56. Ryan Lasco, outfielder, age 21, out of Rutgers uh, at 91. And Josh Knopf, right-handed pitcher, age 17, out of Pechoke Medford High School uh, at 101. So those are the three guys I would hope uh, the Mets pick uh, if they're around. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, uh, Lucas here. I'm going to go through my uh, my names for the Mets uh, non-first round picks here. Um, I don't know what order Steve is putting these clips together, but uh, I'm sure you've got the gist of it now. We're picking at 56, uh, 91, and then 101, that 101 selection being the compensation pick for not signing Brandon Sprout uh, uh, in last year's draft. Um, so I actually... Uh, uh, didn't think I'd spend as much time digging into this as I would, uh, and I'll say up front that a lot of the uh, th- this is not this does not work like the NBA draft or the NFL draft where public rankings are are uh, accurate throughout the entire process. Uh, I think there's something to be said for the the validity of public rankings at the top of the draft, especially in the first round. They'll usually give you a pretty good picture of what's going to happen, but once you get past pick 50, pick 60, pick 70, um, looking at Baseball America's top 500 or MLB's top 200 or whatever other source you like, um, and then saying that this is the order things should go in, uh, at least in my estimation, is not actually that accurate just due to the nature of, of how the baseball draft works, uh, the sparsity of a lot of public information, even for these connected sites. So, um, all of the, the, the all of this is to say that the, the picks we're talking about for the Mets here uh, are not necessarily going to be predictable purely based on these public-facing rankings. Um, I'm also covering my own ass to an extent here because I ranged a little far afield of the rankings. So uh, we'll get into all of that. I found a, I have a couple of names that I'm actually quite interested in here and a bonus at the end that, that I almost put in for the 101 pick. Um, but we'll talk through all that. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention uh, uh, kind of the thought process as we go through this. So uh, first up at pick 56, 
Uh, I went with Josh Rivera. He's a shortstop out of Florida, uh, 72nd on Baseball America's rankings, 111th on um, MLBs, and then uh, 213th on Prospect Live. They're much lower on him. Um, this past year at Florida, he hit 361, 461, 647. That's an OPS of uh, 1108. Uh, 19 homers and 296 plate appearances, 16 steals, only four caught stealings, uh, 46, or excuse me, 45 walks, to only 28 strikeouts. Big shocker that I'm going for a guy with some nice plate discipline stats. Um, so Rivera was a somewhat notable pre- prospect, uh, didn't get drafted, uh, went to Florida and was kind of awful for his first two years there, um, but uh, then clearly broke out uh, this past season. I um, mean, anytime you have an OPS over 1,000 for, for a middle infielder, that that's pretty impressive. Um, he's got a bit of a funky swing. He's, his knees are a little, uh, uh, he's a little knock-kneed or bow-legged, however you want to say it. His bat. Uh, it's not quite like the Kevin Parada back tilt, but it's in that little, it's it, it's in that kind of vein where he's leaning it down his back, and that's something I'd like to see corrected. Um, but at the same time, I think this is a case where uh, a slightly unusual looking swing uh, is going to lead to him being devalued. Uh, I won't go so far to say he's anywhere near as good as Zach Neto, so, so please don't interpret it that way. But I think to an extent, this happens with guys who have different looking swings. And as we've gotten more data in recent years, we, we've definitely learned that visual swing evaluation is, is really not that important if the underlying numbers are good. And the underlying numbers for Rivera are good. He's uh, got a good in-zone contact rate at 80%. He chases a little bit too much, but it's not disastrous, and I think that's something you could fix. Solid exit velocity is uh, 105 mile per hour, 90th percentile there. Again, that's not elite, but it's pretty solid. Um, this is a... a, a a, a, a guy who should also, I think he'll stick at shortstop. I'm not uh, an expert on evaluating defense visually. That's definitely one of my big weaknesses as a visual scout here. Uh, some of the reports indicate that he should be able to, to stick there as an average uh, infielder guy um, or an average defender at short, excuse me. Um, so bottom line, you have a, a guy who performed in the SEC, the best conference in, co- in college baseball. He performed against velocity in the SEC, which is always important, who should stick at shortstop, who has some of the analytical bat- batting traits. Um, I, I'm not going to count on him to be a star. I think the most realistic upside is probably he's like a utility infielder type who can hack it at short. You maybe don't want him starting there consistently. Um, but at this range in the draft, uh, I, I think that's a good bet. And I think also some of these, I think in a lot of drafts, we'll be talking about this sort of shortstop profile and pre-labeling as that, them as that utility infielder, which I just did. Um, but because of the wonkiness of the pandemic and the five-round draft, some of these college guys are going to be better than we'd expect in most years, and, and maybe Rivera is one of those guys. Um, so that's why I have at 56. I will note real quick that uh, Gino Grover, Gino Groover, excuse me, um, who I talked about last week for the Mets, uh, who came up in my sim draft uh, at 32, he'd, he's almost, he could be on the board at 56. I don't think he will be. Um, if he was, I'm sprinting that pick in, uh, but just by the public rankings, he might be there. Um, okay, 
So next up, we're going into the third round. The Mets aren't up again until 91. Uh, and at that spot, I'm going with Mac Horvath from uh, UNC. Uh, 60, he's a third baseman outfielder. He was 68th on Baseball America's list, so I'm reaching there. But 96 on both MLB and Pipeline. So uh, uh, in, in the appropriate range for, for Horvath. Uh, this past season, he hit 305, 418, 711. That's an OPS over 1,100 again. 24 homers and 292 plate appearances, 25 steals, 4 caught stealings, 43 walks, 261 strikeouts. Um, Horvath is another guy who during the pandemic, went undrafted out of high school, even though he was a prep prospect of some note. Um, also was undrafted as a draft-eligible sophomore last year because he hadn't performed great, but uh, again, another junior year breakout uh, based on that stat line. Really appealing power-speed combination here, evidenced by the 24 homers and the 25 steals. Weirdly, despite that, he's only played the corner outfield. I really wonder if you could um, uh, uh, get him into center, but I, I have not done the evaluation there. Um, and their public reports that I've read do not suggest that that's something he, he that's project he's projected for. But it, it's an interesting possibility, I think. Um, the biggest concern with Horvath has been his contact ability. Um, but I've not, I don't really see that in the data personally. He doesn't expand the zone. He only is chased 17% of the time, and that's something I'm always going to buy into. He also makes a reasonable, reasonable amount of contact within the zone. It's 78% contact rate, which is not elite, but it's not as if he's got massive holes in his swing, or at least I don't see them. Um, the exit velocities, again, aren't elite, but very, uh, very solid, a little bit higher than Rivera's. Um, there's a chance that he's a tweener type, right? There's a chance that he's a, a guy who, who has speed and can steal your base, but doesn't quite have high-end power and doesn't quite hit enough and doesn't quite play good enough defense to go to, to work in center. Um, that's the that's the, the, the sort of downside risk with this profile. But if you can squeeze a little bit more velocity out of him uh, or optimize the batted ball profile maybe get the defense a little bit better or or improve the contact ability slightly um it's kind of a double-edged sword right they're all of these these are all potential flaws but there are also areas that you could improve on and turn him into something more than he is um i also like the the, the defense the potentially defensive utility of someone who spent time on the dirt and also in the corner outfield like that's a nice flexible piece again maybe this is just a utility bat down the line uh, someone flexible in that vein, but this uh, the same commentary about uh, lurking upside with college hitters in this class uh, applies. Um, so yeah, Horv he also uh, was one of the standouts so far at the draft combine, I believe, uh, based on some of the notes from Baseball America. So definitely a name to, to keep an eye on. He might be gone by this pick. Frankly, it wouldn't surprise me, uh, especially since he is at the combine. It will be interesting to see how uh, uh, what the combine really does for the for for uh, the stock of the guys who attend. Um, but if he's here in the third round, I'd be uh, pretty intrigued by this selection. Um, so that's two uh, college hitters. Um, maybe not the highest upside, and I'm going to throw a fourth guy in at the end here with, with that kind of fills that role. Um, but the last guy I'm going to take here is actually a high school pitcher, and that's Aiden Knack. He's out of Bishop Verrett High School in Fort Myers, Florida. He was not ranked on Baseball America's list, which I found quite odd. Um, but 195th on MLB and 249th on Prospects Live. So I'm reaching down the board here, certainly. But again, to my the point I made at the top, uh, the public rankings are not that meaningful at this point. You kind of uh, uh, pick and choose based on the, the factors or analytical traits you'd like. Um, 
he has one of those crazy high school stat lines. I'll read it just because it's fun. In 68 innings pitched, he had a 1.24 ERA, 116 strikeouts, and 9 walks. He gave up 42 hits and 12 earned runs. Uh, that whip is something like .8. Uh, so it, I, the the high school the high school top prospect lines are just so so entertaining to me uh, every every time we look at them. Um, more importantly, what are we actually looking at here? He's a Clemson commit. Um, the initial scouting reports and the one, for instance, you'll read on MLB.com or the ones uh, that you can find on Twitter from earlier in the spring describe him as someone who, with a fastball that sits in the 90 to 93 mile an hour band. Uh, that he'll use at the bottom of the zone with with sink, and that's not something I'd be particularly interested in. At the combine, however, these past couple of, during the past week, he's absolutely shoved. Um, he was pump, pumping 92 to 95. His fastball had 2,300 RPMs and 20 inches of induced vertical break. That was some of the most seen from any arm at the combine. Um, and he struck out three of the top high school prospects that he faced uh, in the high school game uh, at the combine, all on fastballs. Um, I'll pump the brakes on the velocity, of course. This was a one-inning sample, and guys are going to be amped up. I don't think he's actually sitting 92 to 95. I think he touched 96. I wouldn't expect that yet. I don't know that it's not. Uh, it's something that could come in the future, but I don't think he's there. However, the RPM and the uh, IVB, that's probably real, right? And it really, uh, I, I think a lot of the times, especially for these high school players, the, the reports are... Uh, based on one-off looks or, or uh, people who don't have the data. And that's just kind of the nature of what, we, what we're talking about with high school scouting. At the combine, we do have the data, and the fastball looks like a totally different pitch with the kind of traits you'd actually be interested in. Um, he has a really nice curve as well. I'm a sucker for a curveball. It's a big 12-6 to 6, uh, uh, hammer offering. I, I think it's really nice. The changeup looks good, um, though as we've talked about, and I think I've kind of beaten the table for this ad nauseum, uh, it's difficult to evaluate high school change-ups. I think his looks good. I'm not an expert. It's performed well because he's just better than everyone he's faced. Uh, it's an interesting wrinkle. But the fastball has really nice traits. The curveball looks good. Um, he lacks prototypical size. He's only six foot one. Um, but outside, I, I'm willing to overlook that given the actual uh, traits of his pitches. Um, questionable whether he's actually signable here in the third. Uh, obviously, a Clemson commit is going to have some inclination to go to school. Wouldn't surprise me if he did. Uh, I, but I wouldn't also. I also wouldn't hate uh, uh, taking him uh, in one of these spots. I will note, if the Mets are going to go this route and draft a high school. Uh, a hitter or some sort of prep prospect in the third, they really should do it with the 91st pick as opposed to the 101st, uh, because if they fail to sign uh, another player with the 101st pick, they don't get another comp pick, right? The 101st pick is already a comp pick. They should be taking this guy at 91. So worst comes to worst, you can get another comp pick next year. And they also need to take backup picks uh, later in the, on in the draft. So hopefully they've learned their lesson uh, uh, from previous uh, 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 draft mishaps. Uh, and they'll they'll be smart about this. Uh, to that end, I wanted to mention a, a fourth name. This is someone I'd originally slotted in at 101 because of these concerns about signability. I think there's a real argument you should just take uh, uh, someone you know you can sign at 101 
uh, pocket the money and make sure that you don't blow the pick again. Um, so the guy I actually identified for that role would be Cameron Fisher. He's an outfielder out of UNC Charlotte, uh, ranked 141st on Baseball America's list, not ranked by MLB, and 173rd on Prospects Live. Uh, one of the best power hitters in the country last year. He had 348-507-813 with 30 homers in 224 plate appearances. Uh, 10 steals, no caught stealing. That's probably a mirage. Uh, walked one more time than he struck out, 64-63. to 63. Now, to be clear, this is a pure bet on the power upside. He has some of the best exit velocities in college baseball, uh, one, nearly 110 miles per hour as his 90th percentile. Um, and he has a penchant for pulling the ball in the air. That is a good thing. This is, uh, I mean, what modern analysts can tell you is that you want your power hitters to get the ball in the air and you want them pulling it. So what we want Brett Bay to be, to be doing, this is how Isak Parida succeeds for the Rays despite having an ex-WOBA that's like 60 points lower than his actual WOBA. Pulling the ball in the air hard is good, and that's exactly what Fisher does really well. Um, he's fine in a corner outfield spot, but not going to give you much value there defensively. The question here is the his ability to make contact. He never expands the zone, which is something I like, obviously, but it's only a 72% zone contact rate, which is not great, particularly in college baseball. Um, what I describe him as is a priority senior sign type pick, um, something that the Mets... Uh, could need given that their first round pick is 10 spots lower they might need to be saving money at some point here and also someone that you could take at 101 and lock in so that you're not blowing that pick again like we talked about um moreover if you correct the sum of the swing and miss here i'm not an expert on swing mechanics i don't know how feasible that actually is but if you could get him to make just a bit more contact there's some incredible upside here, something really exciting. And uh, I'd actually quite like the Mets to, to, to wind up with him at some point, whether it's at 101, maybe it's in the fourth, um, uh, but he'd be a really nice cost-saving pick at some point. And uh, I think there's real value in identifying these priority senior guys um, as opposed to continually rolling the dice on, on total long shots. So those are the three names I came up with for the picks and a, and a bonus that uh, I'll throw in there for, for uh, tactical uh, uh, draft reasons. Um, we'll see what actually happens in a couple weeks, and uh, hopefully uh, we don't wind up with a Nick Morbido uh, for the second year in a row. Hi, Thomas here. Um, I've been a little sick this week, so I'm going to keep it nice and short uh, because, well, my throat's been hurting. So for a little uh, behind-the-scenes on how one of your podcast hosts is doing. But anyway, for my three people that I chose for the Mets to take with their 56th, 91st, and 101st picks was Ty Floyd, Sammy uh, Stafura, I think that's how you pronounce it, and also uh, Josh Noth. So let's get into it right away with Ty Floyd. Ty Floyd is an interesting guy because many of you will have seen him pitch a few days ago in the College World Series against Florida, and he was absolutely disgusting. He struck out like 19 Gators um, to take for have LSU take game one. But the reason why I'm choosing him is because he very clearly has... It was the type of performance that's going to make him enough money that he might be out of this range. He might be taken way earlier than you would think. <clears throat> but... 
the fastball is great. It has ridiculous spin rates on it. His other pitches, like his changeup, um, has good spin rates. His fastball was putting spin rates with 2000s on it consistently. Uh, a lot of inches of vertical break and a lot of inches of horizontal break. So it's a good fastball. It's a very nasty fastball shape. So when you combine that fastball shape with his height, because he's a tall fellow, and when you combine it with emerging breaking stuff, you could really get something here on the, on the, that's something that's uh, ascending instead of taking something on the downtrend, which is why I liked him so much and why I think, honestly, you could kind of make a case for it to be at 32, which is kind of crazy. But, I mean, hey, look, if you want to save some money or if you really believe in the, in the underlying stuff, then I could see that, but definitely in the second round. So for the third, for, for the compensation picks in the third round, the first person I took, I would take here is Sammy Stafora is a local boy from, from New York. Uh, the really cool thing about him is despite his, despite not being in the, obviously the Northeast is always a little worse for competition than the rest of the country, especially the South. Um, he, he, he has a lot, he has a lot of tools that you like. He is a great athlete, good runner. He played center field and shorts up over the summer. And that's a very interesting profile because that level of speed and athleticism to play up the middle like that, if you're, if you have it right away, then there's a good base. It's like a, a like Jet Williams was obviously more advanced because he was a first round pick, even though this, this guy's been mocked in the late first a little bit. So maybe I'm kind of, uh, getting too big for my britches here. Like, Baseball America had him around 40, but MLB had him past, way past this, uh, past this pick, and so did Prospects Live, so I'm kind of bouncing around. I'm kind of splitting the difference here. Um, also, there's stuff that because he wasn't in a super competitive league with, he wasn't in the South playing with, like, at the highest levels of competition, then, well, you could, there's more to, to grow, there's more that a team could uh, mold into what they want to see. Now, are the Mets the team to do that? Um, that is definitely an interesting question, and I don't know if the answer is yes. But at the end of the day, I would like to see them take chances on guys like this instead of take chances on other guys. I mean, rather not on other guys, rather than take low ceiling chances, which they certainly can do because low ceiling chances. I mean, the Mets have done that before in the past, but I feel like they've kind of went more high ceiling. And now that we are even deeper into the Billy Epler and Steve Cohen era, we're going to see more, even more high upside guys. Now, this last pick is maybe my favorite one. Josh Noth from Pat, from Patchogue Medford uh, High School in New York, which very local, literally on Long Island. Now, the reason why I am interested in him so much is, and the reason why I think he's not higher, I think he's not higher for two reasons and two reasons only. One, he's 6'1", which is a little short for a major league pitcher. And two, he is a 17-year-old who is pitching in the Northeast and not somewhere else to go back to the Northeast stuff. Now, I do think the Northeast is a little bit of a way to get an advantage over other teams who kind of don't look at that stuff. But this kid has, he's thrown, he's been clocked up to 96 miles per hour. It's not the greatest fastball shape in the world. Sometimes it flattens out. But 
the reason why that I'm really interested in him in the third round is his his curveball is absolutely disgusting. It routinely has 3,000 RPM rotations. The spin rate's out of this world. And so while he only has those two pitches, doesn't really do anything else, he has a changeup that he doesn't really throw, and it doesn't really isn't super effective. It's the, the the spin rates on the curve are so tantalizing. It gives me Seth Lugo vibes, where even if he's not a starter, and Seth Lugo is a very quality starter for the Padres right now. While I think a lot of what his Mets tenure was not a starter because of need and also injury issues, like there's a floor of a reliever that if you have a high high end breaking pitch like that, that's not a changeup, it's a curveball or something, you could definitely have a floor of a reliever. And at only 17, there's plenty of time for him to develop a changeup or plenty of time for him to develop some type of third breaking pitch. That doesn't have to be a changeup. That kind of gets hit other, um, that kind of has him have more life over the length of his outings. Um, obviously, being 6'1", he has a little bit of an effort in his delivery, and it's not the, the smoothest thing in the world sometimes, and that's not great because that leads to injury, but also it is what it is at his height. I think the 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 high level spin rates and all that is definitely worth keeping an eye on and worth seeing like, hey, if we could give him a third pitch, then we could have someone who could really ascend in a way that guys who just don't have a spin rate at that level for any of their pitches don't have that ceiling. It's just, it's just not there because the high level spin rates are where you're really trying to thrive. And I think the Mets have done a good job of identifying those guys. They did it last year with a lot of their pitchers. It was a lot of spin rate guys. They did it even two years ago with the Calvin Zigglers of the world. And it's worked to varying degrees. And that has to do with player development. And also prospects get hurt and yada, yada, yada. Everyone here knows the story. But I think the this level of ceiling is interesting, especially in the third round. And especially with how poor the Mets pitching prospect pool has gotten like Mike Vassell is obviously their number one pitching prospect by a mile. And then you can very easily make the case that Coleman Crow has never pitched a, uh, has never thrown a pitch in the organization. And he is the number two pitching prospect. And you can make, and then after that it's Blake, it's Blake Tidwell. And then it's honestly a toss up like Hamill's been up and down this year. So to add two pitchers with, High level, um, with high level ceilings, I would say, because of their spin rates and their interesting stuff is nice. And then you're adding a, you're kind of, this is a very swing for the fences draft, but I also think it, uh, the way that we're kind of setting it up right now with these three picks, but also I think that's what the Mets have to do because, because of their commitment to spending at the major league level and, the lack of high-end talent in their system now, it's probably a top bottom five to bottom three system in the league. There's just really no high-end talent here to speak of in terms of impact guys. Now the baby and Alvarez are up and if they haven't graduated now, they will be in by the time we're talking about any of this in actuality. So I think the Mets need to swing for the fences here a little bit and be a little risky and take the 17-year-old kid from Long Island who has a 3,000 RPM curveball. Because if it doesn't work out, then okay. But what does another college senior who has no has a small ceiling or something like that, what does that get them? It doesn't really get them anything, in my opinion. So 
they need to kind of swing for the fences here a little bit, and I think this is a way to do that. All right, that is our show for the week. I hope you all enjoyed. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from, rate and review. And of course, we thank you for listening. And as a reminder, we are now Patreon-based. So if you like our podcast, or if you like any of the other ones in the Home Run Apple Network, you can subscribe for just $5 a month. And you will get extra stuff like bonus content, um, exclusive episodes, things like that. So we'll be back next week. On uh, till then, love the Mets, love the Mets. <laughs> <laughs>